Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. Oscar continues his conversation with Cotton Nash in episode 74. Rated as one of the top college basketball players in the nation, there wasn't much Cotton Nash couldn't do. And that included at one time being the all-time leading scorer at Kentucky. His play on the court earned him numerous honors, and that included being a three-time All-American. Over the last 60 years, the game has changed since Cotton was a freshman, and Oscar will discuss those changes with Cotton. Cotton will share his thoughts on the one-and-done rule, and we'll go inside one of Coach Rupp's practices. And don't worry, Oscar and Cotton will have you out by dinner time. Cotton Nash was a prolific scorer in which he totaled 1,770 points in his three years playing varsity, but he had some help along the way. Cotton Nash takes time to remember his teammates at Kentucky, including the late Terry Mobley, John Adams, and Larry Conley. Dinner and a movie with Cotton Nash? He'll tell you about his favorite dish and his favorite movie, too. Cotton Nash began an assault on school and conference records with reckless abandon, and that was evident by reaching the 1,000-point mark quicker than any previous Wildcat. Nowadays, there's something real cool about Cotton Nash. Oscar describes Cotton Nash as Rat Pack Cool. I describe him as Cat Pack Cool. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs, and we welcome back Cotton Nash. Today's game, as you said, give me... Walk me through the changes and what's happened to the college game of basketball from when you played it 50 years ago to now. Oh, well, there's been tremendous change. First of all, uh, of course, the way you can dribble nowadays. If we could have dribbled like that, we'd have, I'd have had uh, 50 more moves. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have carried the ball on my hip and taken three steps before I put it down, <laughs> I'd have been a blur. <laughs> And that's the biggest uh, change. And, of course, the three-point shot. I, like I said, we averaged – we we had scored triple, over 100 points 10 times my senior. I would, I would hate to see what that total was because we made a lot of – we had plays set up that were shots from behind what is now the three-point line. We, we had definite plays to, to do that. And uh, the, um, the three-second call, you hardly ever see that anymore. It's it's you might go the whole season only see it called once or twice, and the referees in those days, boy, they didn't let you linger in there. You had to keep moving, and they uh, hadn't put the uh, anti-dunk rule in yet, had they? No, no, no. That, that was after Alcindor, I think, right. went to UCLA. That's correct. That, that Did anybody was. dunk it when you were playing? Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, Adolph told us not to not to dunk. He he didn't let anyone and anyone dunk on our team. He was afraid you'd hurt your hand and your fingers, get your fingers tied in the net or something. 
Ain't counted the same number of points. So yeah, yeah. And today in in our game, um, like I said, we we bring the ball down the court, make maybe two three passes, and somebody let the ball fly. Nowadays, I see and watch these games, and uh, I can almost go to the refrigerator and back before they'll take a shot. They go sideways this way, then they go sideways this way, and then they might uh, dump it in and then dump it back out. And by the time there's five seconds left on the shot clock, and then finally somebody takes a shot. To me, that's a big difference in today's game. What do you think about the one and done? No, that's uh, fine with me. If they want to leave, I mean, that's, that's their prerogative. That's the way it's set up. Until they change the rules or, or change the system, that's going to be here forever, I think. Uh, Do you think they should change it? I, um, you know, I'm ambivalent about that. If if a guy wants to come here and study under Coach Calipari with the hopes of getting an NBA contract and uh, he's not interested in going to school, which I'm sure they're not, they just aren't interested in doing that, uh, and they let him do it, well, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I don't see where you're going to tell people, hey, you can't do that anymore. You have to, you have to graduate in four years with a, with a degree in business or something. But uh, to me, um, they're playing by the rules, so what the heck. What was the practice like under Adolf? Adolf's practices, I, I really, really enjoyed his system compared to today's coaches. Um, the clock on the Coliseum uh, wall every day, uh, when it struck 3 o'clock, no, I'm sorry, 3.15. 3.15, there was 15 balls hit the floor dribbling at both ends of the floor at Memorial Coliseum. And for 30 minutes, you shot your shots that you would normally take in a game, get your own rebound, come back and do the same thing. Now, if you, if you ever go out in a driveway and try that for 30 straight minutes, you're going to be pretty washed out. You're going you're gonna, to uh, be very, very tired if, you, if you'll try that. And that's the way he, every, every uh, practice started for 30 minutes. Then for another hour and 15 minutes, from 3.15 to 5 o'clock, we, uh, we worked on either scrimmages, plays, uh, scouting reports, what have you, depending on the, the day of the week and uh, closeness to another game. But once that clock hit 5 o'clock, boom, you were done. You were done. Didn't go 5.05, 5.15, no, 5 o'clock. No, done. no, 5 o'clock, it was done. You were done. And the reason for that was that um, the freshman team had to get on the floor and practice before the student union cafeteria line closed at seven o'clock or else they wouldn't get fed. So of course, as a varsity player, we could, we, we could, we got over there in time, but the freshman team, they practiced, uh, their practice didn't start till five. So they had to get done showered and get over there in line before the uh, student union building cafeteria line closed. Otherwise, they wouldn't get any supper. Did uh, Coach Rupp have a good cop to go with him being the bad cop? Yeah, that was Harry. Yeah, Harry. Harry Lancaster. He was the good cop for for most part. Tell me something unique about Harry that I would want to know that 
I wasn't around. Something unique about him? Yeah. I mean, what was he like? He was gruff and he was tough, but he always uh, would uh, would be compassionate with your feelings. And uh, he'd yell and bark, you know, just like any other coach, but uh, he would do it in a way that wouldn't offend you. And um, Adolph, on the other hand, offended a lot of the players with his barking and yelling. And... Um, and then Harry, he was the type of guy that, uh, heck, you'd see him on the bench and uh, during the ball game smoking a cigarette, just having a good time. <laughs> Did you see a different uh, Adolph Rupp in retirement versus the one you played under? And if so, what was the difference? I never saw him in retirement. I mean, uh, I was too busy playing. I was gone all the time. So... Uh, I never had much uh, contact with, with Coach Rupp after I left. No, uh, not at all. The U.K. basketball program today, I mean, you were in a, a golden age. You're one of the eras that, you know, they, a lot of people look back and they remember the 48-49 team. They remember Hagen and Ramsey. Then they remember Nash. <clears throat> then they remember Dan Essel and right up the letter. Where does it stand today in your eyes, the program? The, the, the current what, program. In what re regard? And in regard with the rest of college basketball. Oh. Is it in good shape? Oh, for sure. I mean, Coach Cal, he's got that thing in, in great shape now. And the only difference is that it's, um, to me now, it's more of a, like you brought up the one and done situation. It's 50-50. Half of it is is the training grounds for the NBA. And the other half is college basketball. So and then they they meld them all together and try to have a national championship team. This is the way I look at it right now, and then a lot of programs are like that. Has the game gotten Kentucky. too commercial? Oh, it's big money nowadays. I mean, gee whiz, like when I was playing, uh, <laughs> like I told you, it was just a college sport. Guys had a good time. We didn't um, when we when we played basketball in Kentucky in the sixties. We can't. We enrolled in classes in September. We never saw or heard from Adolph or Harry until October fifteenth, which was the first day the NCAA allowed you to start your practice. We all congregated on October fifteenth, started practice, and we practiced for six weeks. You banged heads with each other for six weeks. Adolph finally decided who were the five starters to start the season. And if you and you were the starter, unless you fouled out or got hurt, and most of the time he only used maybe seven, six, seven players at the most. When you earned your spot in those six weeks, and it was tough, it was tough. And then after the last game of the season, whether it be uh, in sometime in March in those days, you didn't see those coaches again till the next October fifteenth. Because you were, you were busy with your classwork. You were busy playing baseball or on the track team or uh, some cases. And, and then school was out, and you'd, go your, and, and you'd go your own way in the summer. There was no summer workouts or conditioning or anything like that. And then, not, and then you would start over again next October 15th. How thrilled were you when you saw your picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated the first time? Well, it was the only time, too. <laughs> so, um, you know, they uh, – I don't know if you could say thrilled, but um, 
it, it kind of, I was. You so, got to have a little bit of ego when you make the front of Sports well, Illustrated. Well, so I was, I was kind of busy that time, and they wanted me to show up at the Coliseum, take all these pictures of for a long time, you know, a couple hours trying to get this shot, that shot. And finally, I got a little antsy. I was just glad it was over with because <laughs> I had things to do. <laughs> I had to get going. But um, then when the cover came out, um, well, believe it or not, here it is 50-some years later. And I bet you still get requests to have it autographed. I still got envelopes in the mail with the magazine inside requesting it to be signed and sent back. Yes, I still do. Does that make you feel a little bit special? It makes me feel amazed that people, after so long a time, would, would do that and, and, and get that cover in that magazine somewhere. After after all that time, and take the trouble to put it in an envelope with a return stamped envelope, mail it to me for my autograph, and send it back. It, it's just amazing to me. Let's let you remember some of your teammates. Just give me a line or two about what you remember most about them, or what you think about them. And let's start out with Larry Lenz. Larry Lenz. He was um, backup center, and uh, he played probably behind. Uh, John Adams, and eventually, who took over for center for me once I left, and uh, he was the backup center. Ron Kennett. Ronnie Kennett is uh, that guy. He probably had the best jumps on our team, and he was probably the quickest and fastest guard on our team. Um, and he, but he didn't get into to the games that much. He didn't get to play very much. But he ended up being uh, good. For, I'm still good friends with him today. In fact, he was the best man at our wedding. John Adams. John. John was a backup center to me, and we still play golf here in Lexington together. We're good buddies. George Kritz. George Kritz was my uh, my uh, roommate for my whole time here at Kentucky at Hagen Hall. And uh, George and I still talk from time to time. He lives in southern Kentucky down there on a farm, and he's, we're still friends. Sam Harper. Sam Harper died prematurely. I don't know if you knew that. He, was, no. uh, he, he died several years ago and of a heart attack just out of the blue. Uh, I think he was living in Richmond at the time. But his, his wife came home one time and found him sitting in his easy chair. Had a heart, and he had had a heart attack and died right there. He was only maybe in his forties. Tommy Harper. Tommy is now the. Um, he's probably the Donald Trump of Richmond, <laughs> in his real estate and property business over there, and he controls a lot of property. He's been a very successful business guy, and and uh, I see him every from time to time. Charlie Ishmael. Charlie just died recently. Um, Chili Ishmael was his name. And uh, he was actually started out as a football player here at Kentucky. And Adolph uh, talked him into quitting the football team and coming with the basketball team. So he played with me. He was the same year I was and was a starter for, for several years. Mickey Gibson. Mickey. He, uh, he was a sophomore when I was a senior. He was the sixth or seventh man off the bench, and he gave us a lot of spark that year uh, coming off the bench. He was an excellent ball player. Tommy Cron. 
Tommy Cron, he was our starter a lot too. Uh, he was big for his guard in those days. He was six five. Um, uh, was was uh, started like I say a starter, but he also died prematurely uh, several years ago. Um, we all ended up at his funeral in Louisville. And everybody who passed away recently, Terry Mobley. Terry Mobley, yes. Terry and I stayed good friends. We both lived here in Lexington. We played golf together and socialized together, and was uh, we were sorry to lose him. Larry Conley. Larry Conley, I don't think I could have averaged what I did my senior year without Larry Conley feeding me the ball. He was a magician with uh, – uh, he was a Steve Nash, uh, John Stockton type player where if you got half a step on your opponent, you had the ball. He, he, he got you the ball. And uh, I, I don't know if they kept many assists in that era, but uh, he, he gave me a lot of assists. Ted Deacon. Ted and I were, were a good tandem underneath the boards. He, he was all SEC along with me, and uh, he averaged almost 20 points a game his senior year, and he was a hell of a ball player. He's still in Louisville. Scotty Bassler. Scotty and I played together uh, two years, I think. And, of course, then he went on to, to be a politician in, uh, in Washington and then mayor in, here in Lexington, and I still see him occasionally. Roy Roberts. Roy Roberts disappeared back to his Georgia home state. I, I've never mm -hmm. seen him, but maybe once or twice since we left school here. I don't know what he's doing. Randy Emery. Randy, yeah, I see him a lot. He's a scout with uh, the Heat, the Miami Heat. He, um, he and Pat Riley are, are good buddies, and um, they, they depend on him. Pat depends on him a lot to, to do the, a lot of the chief scouting before the draft. And he was credited with uh, talking him into uh, drafting Dwayne Wade when it uh, when he did when they did. Larry Percival. Larry, I don't see him much, but now you talk about shooters. I'd say him and uh, Louis Damper probably should go down as the two best shooters ever to play guard here at Kentucky. I mean, Larry Percival in scrimmages and practices. He probably shot 75% from the field. He just couldn't miss. Carl Burchett. Carol, yeah. He and I were for starting uh, my sophomore year. And he'd usually uh, uh, draw the best player, uh, big guy assignment to guard my sophomore year, take a little pressure off of me. He was a real good rebounder. I don't see him much, though. He's in eastern Kentucky. Uh, I haven't seen him much over the years. Harry Hurd. Harry Hurd, no, I've only seen him maybe once or twice. John, uh, Jim McDonald. Jim McDonald ended up to be very successful in uh, Scientific Atlanta Company, which he uh, led for years and ended up retiring uh, with his stock options. And um, last I heard, he was living out west somewhere on a big ranch. Doug Pentagraph. Doug Pentagraph. I haven't seen him in a while either. Uh, I can't say where he is now or what he's doing. Pat Doyle. Pat Doyle and I became great buddies. 
we were good friends for years and again he died prematurely also and uh that hurt a lot of us we played a lot of golf together and did a lot of socializing together and uh, we were sorry to lose him and alan Philhouse, horse he was uh the enforcer on our team my sophomore year and he was a heck of a baseball player too um and played both sports and uh, alan of course we lost him recently too uh to cancer and uh, i mean i'm <laughs> i hate to even mention these things because <laughs> i'm the same yeah. age <laughs> well and of course herky wrote herky died also recently uh, herky was um i guess on team one year with me and when I was a sophomore, he was a senior. And I used to see Herky, yeah, from time to time here. He, he didn't live too far from me. Uh, some of the assistant coaches while you were here, Ted Lenhart. Yeah. No, I didn't have much to do with the assistant coaches, no. Or haven't seen him since. So Trainer, Joe Brown. He was a trainer on our baseball team, too. So I got to see him a lot while I was here. Uh, some of the managers, uh, Doug Wolf, remember him? Remember Doug? Haven't seen him in years. Dan Omar. I see him occasionally at football games. He sits around us. Should I even mention Hub Matry? Hub, I see a lot of Hub. Yeah, <laughs> we all see a lot of Hub. Yeah, Hub's around and he's uh, he's still kicking good. Uh, assistant coach Neil Reed. Neil Reed, my goodness, that's a long time ago, yeah. He drifted off into the sunset uh, after a while. Some people that's in the community that you got to know then and even years since then, uh, J.D. Reeves. Well, back in uh, those days, Adolph had closed practices. Every practice he had were, was closed, except for a very few. And J.D. Reeves was one of them. Uh, he could attend the practice. He was a bank official, uh, I think, first security bank. That's correct. And, and he, he, he kept the scorebook for years at Memorial, too. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure about that. I'm yeah, not sure about I, that. He, took, he was taking it, keeping the scorebook in the, at least the late 60s. Um, Judge Stevens. Oh, yeah. Judge was uh, was at a lot of the practices, and uh, I had a good relationship with him. He was a what you'd call a real funny guy, very easy to get along with, and uh, very personable. And of course, he's got that downtown federal courthouse named after him. Louis Ades. Louis Ades was another regular at practice. I didn't know him that well. Harry Miller. Harry Miller was the greatest guy going when I was in town. He... He helped me a lot. He, he let me uh, borrow his car um, a lot when I was here. He uh, had us over for, uh, he had us and a couple other players over for supper a lot, fed us, and uh, he was just a great guy, and he was there at the practices a lot. Dr. Maurice Royalty. He was a team doctor for a while, and uh, um I didn't, in those days, I didn't see much of him because luckily I wasn't that hurt. <laughs> you had to be losing a leg to see him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, of course, uh, a good friend of mine, I know he's a good friend of yours, uh, the late Judge Angelusi, Mondo Angelusi. Mondo Angelusi, he was a great guy. 
and he used to have us over to his house too to watch some ball games and kind of relax when uh, when uh, things got a little hectic and he was a real good friend yes he was when you were growing up in new jersey those first 10 years who was your sport first sports idol it's got to be a yankee i'm sure oh of course it was mickey mantle mickey mantle yeah no doubt about it i wanted to be the mick and one of the highlights of my career was when i walked out onto the field when i was with the white Sox at yankee stadium and I looked across in the other dugout, and there was another guy walking out uh, up the steps of his dugout with a big number seven on his back. And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm here. <laughs> did, you, did you go speak to him or get his autograph? Or? No, I, I wished I'd have had dang on it, but uh, I didn't. Who's your all-time favorite athlete? Oh, athlete. I mean, uh, uh I, that's hard. I never thought about that. You mean total athlete? Total athlete. Mantle, baseball, boxing, oh. whatever. Oh, no. Well, you know, um, Mantle would be my baseball. Um, uh, uh, Marciano, Rocky Marciano would be my, my – of course, I grew up with him during his career. And I still think Gail Sayers would have been the best running back ever if he hadn't gotten hurt. Oh, man, he was something else to watch. Um, basketball player, there's no, I don't think there's going to be any comparison to what Will Chamberlain did in, in his career. I mean, he, he could just dominate the sport like nobody else dominated their sport. Throw you another curveball. What's your favorite food? Food? Food. Oh my goodness. That's, that's tough to say. I mean, uh, we got, uh. We got um, several things that we like to cook at home. Uh, uh, I like lamb chops. That's my, that's my favorite chop. And um, of course, we um, we have an old time recipe for pierogies that my wife uh, fix. And all the kids, every time they hear that word, they're always at the front door. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite all time movie? Oh, it'd have to be The Hustler with Jackie Gleason and Paul Newman. That, that was the best. Your favorite all-time entertainer? Oh, my goodness. Now you're throwing me curveballs here. I haven't thought about it. Well, you've that. been hitting them all out of the park. I want you at least to foul one off. Entertainers. I don't sit around getting entertained that much. Frank Sinatra? i tell you the truth. Well, um, no, I don't know. I had several those old uh, rock and roll guys from the 50s and 60s that I, I used to like to listen to, and uh, the Chubby Checkers. The Fats Domino. Fats Domino, there you go. Another one, those guys I could listen to all night. <laughs> Your favorite sports team of all time? Favorite sports team of all time? Huh. I guess it would have to be the Miami Dolphins, when they had Marino and those receivers, and uh, they they just threw the ball all over the place. Marino, uh, he'd throw for 400 yards every game, and he they were just so much fun to watch. My 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 two boys, my two sons, they 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 were big Miami Dolphin fans, and, and I had to get them hats and shirts and everything with <laughs> Miami on. it. Your best college game. My best college game? Yes. 
Huh. I guess it would have to be that um, the 38-point game I had against Vanderbilt because – Was that home or away? That was at home, but it came as the second game of the year against them after they had beaten us down at uh, Nashville. And we kind of had a chip on our shoulder because we didn't like that loss we had down there. And we came out uh, pretty grumpy. We wanted to make a point. And I believe we beat them by 20 points and after they had beaten us down there. So I, I enjoyed that game as much as anything. The most forgettable game you ever played in? Well, the most forgettable game was uh, uh, when we um, – Probably we started out the, the my senior year. The last game of the year was against St. Louis, and I don't know how we lost that game. It's the last regular season game before the tournament started, and uh, I was wanting to go out a winner at, at home at, in the Coliseum, but I didn't. And Did uh, they have senior days back then? No, no, no. There weren't any senior days. Nope. The best college player you ever played against? Well, um, that would have to have been Lucas Havlicek, Ohio State team. I can't separate those two guys. But uh, that, them as a tandem would be the, the two best I played against. Was that the best college team you ever played against? I think so. I think so. They went on to, I believe, get to the championship game that year. Um but I believe Cincinnati will beat them in the finals. I'm not sure, but I believe that's what happened. Most exciting basketball moment of your career? <laughs> exciting? Yeah. No, that's that's most exciting. No, I don't know how to interpret that. Um, most, I mean, the, the most exciting moment you had on the floor. On the floor. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, let me think about that. Let's All go right. on. We'll come back to that in a minute. All yeah. right. Your favorite arena away from home. Was there one favorite place you liked to play away from home? Actually, it was Freedom Hall in Notre Dame. For some reason, they had that portable floor, and it was um, it was kind of spongy and gave a lot. Uh, and it felt like you were almost running on a trampoline. It was easy on your legs, easy on your feet. You could jump better on it. And uh, I really enjoyed playing in, in Freedom Hall, and I had some good games down there, too. The most hostile arena you ever played in? Well, that was always uh, that was Tennessee um, and a couple other places where the football team would line up right behind your bench and give you uh, and sit right behind the bench and give you give you all kind of static uh, during the game and uh, while you were while you were on the bench and timeouts and everything, this is sort of a similar one to it. But which school had the best hecklers? Well, that would have been Tennessee. Yeah, that, that would have been Tennessee and Mississippi State. Both they were they were tough on you. Your biggest disappointment in your career? Well, ending up my senior year the way I did uh, with three straight losses. Yeah, that that was a very very disappointing and. You know, as as I said, I was wanting to go out with the bang, but I went out with the, uh, nothing like that. <laughs> Best decision you ever made in your career? Best decision I ever made was uh, proposing to my wife. 
<laughs> when, when I was uh, off playing baseball in California and she was here working uh, in Frankfurt and um, called her late one night uh, after a ball game and uh, I said, I think we better get married. I said, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you asked her. You told her? <laughs> I asked her, yeah. I said, I said, how about that? So uh, this was, uh, I think, in uh, August. Uh, I was still in. I was you made a lot of decisions in August, it seems like. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> the worst decision you ever made in life. Worst decision. Now, now you're interviewing me, and this is too much psychoanalyst. <laughs> uh, the worst decision. Yeah. Uh, um, well, as it turned out, probably trying to play two sports professionally when I couldn't do justice to either one when I was doing it, and trying to think that I could. Uh, in today's days and times, of course, it would be impossible. I think Danny Ainge and I were the last two to play uh, baseball basketball combination and I don't, of course with the overlapping seasons that's that'd be impossible to, uh, in today's game outside of your family who's has been the most influential person in your life well my father always pointed me in the right direction he always had my best interest at heart even when I wanted to go in this and that direction and this and he said nope you're going this direction and he kept me on the straight and narrow, um, the same way my wife's doing for me today. <laughs> Is there anything you would do differently if you had your sports career to live over? Yeah, I would think I would just uh, concentrate on baseball. I think I would have uh, just gone 100% baseball and tried, tried not to play both sports professionally. And uh, thinking I could course at the time when you're full of uh, full of uh, adrenaline and everything else you think you can you can uh, hang the moon but uh, yeah if I had to do over I think I'd have stayed with one sport someday when they do a 200 year history of Kentucky basketball and they remember the top 10 players of all time and you're one of those lists how would you want to be remembered just as a as a total all around player who could do uh, who could dribble shoot, rebound. In fact, I'm just as proud of my rebounding records as I am my shooting. Uh, while I was at school, today's game, if you get ten rebounds, you've had a good game. And I think I averaged twelve for my career. So uh, and I did get thirty rebounds in a couple of games, which. Uh, to me, was uh, just I was just as proud of, of that stat as I was of my scoring. The uh, the fact that uh, I could rebound, even though I was always up against bigger centers and bigger front lines, um, I, I just had a knack to go get the ball. I knew where it was going for some reason when it was put in the air. Thanks. You're welcome. Our many thanks to Cotton Nash for joining us on Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. If you missed part one with Cotton Nash, that's episode 73 of Conversations. You heard Cotton talk about some of his teammates, and Oscar and I were fortunate enough to sit down and speak with them. 
Episode 31 features John Adams, and episode 40 and 41 features the late Terry Mobley. Those interviews and more can be found at oscarcombs.com. For your mobile devices, search for Ad Wildcat News in iTunes and Google Play and on Stitcher, and subscribe for free. Can't get enough of the cats? Follow Oscar on Twitter. He'll keep you informed. He's at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and thank you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs. And as always, go Big Blue.